Hey everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Pat Pekulski. Today we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about mental mastery. The mental side of the game is absolutely essential no matter what aspect of life you're trying to improve. You're trying to improve your body, your relationships, or life in general. The mental game is a massive, massive aspect. And so many of us fail at our external endeavors because of what's happening in our mental game. And differentiating between success and failure is something that I've been absolutely fascinated with since I began bodybuilding and even before. Like what separates a true champion from someone who falls just short or someone who potentially sabotages themselves? And the mental side of the game is absolutely interesting to me and learning how to hack into your unconscious beliefs, learning how to change your unconscious beliefs and ultimately master your mental game is the topic of today's conversation. We're going to talk about how to begin to coach the mental side of performance. We're going to talk about the importance of knowing your goals and how to harness the 10 pillars of mental performance. Today's guest, Brian Kane, is a master of mental performance. He talks about some of the specific instances where he's literally changed people's performance in a matter of minutes by identifying some key metrics and some key identifying features of their beliefs and digging into how to create anchors around performance. And he's got his 10 pillars of mental mastery, which you guys are gonna love hearing Brian Kane walk us through. So if you're someone who's looking to live your greatest life, your mental game is going to be the number one determining factor in success and failure. Many people are chasing after muscle, fat loss, money, whatever your external goal is, realize that it starts inside of you first. If you have a strong mental game, strong beliefs about yourself, you will succeed. And if you don't, the likelihood of you succeeding becomes much, much less. So I suggest and I encourage you to stick around and listen to every single minute of my conversation with Brian Kane as we dive into his 10 pillars of mental performance. Enjoy the show with Brian Kane. And as always, listen right to the end and share with at least one person you know that will love this mission around living your greatest life in a body that you love. Enjoy the show. You realize it seems like everyone's kind of regurgitating the same BS and nobody actually has their own unique thought and unique understanding of how to take an individual with a unique skill set, a unique problem, and then kind of adapt that to someone who's actually significantly better, like getting actual results. Totally. Totally. Or, or they don't have the experience or, nor the desire to step into the athlete's world and learn, right? So like when I started working in MMA, I, I, I'd been a fan of the UFC, but I'd never been to a training session. I never sat down and had in-depth conversations with UFC right. fighters. I didn't know what their world was like. So I'm like, before I can, before I can even think about asking you to, to pay me to help you to work with you, let me follow you around for like three days of your training and just see what it's like. And ask you questions, you know? Were you, were you an athlete growing up? Yeah, I played football, basketball, and baseball in high school and then played college baseball at the University of Vermont and then coached for two years at Cal State Fullerton. So we finished third in the country in 2003, won the national championship in 04. So it's pretty high level of totally. college athletics, you know? So I've been around it and I wanted to be a coach. I never wanted to be a sports psych or mental performance coach. I wanted to be a pitching coach or a quarterback. Right. And then, you know, what I found out when I got into it was like, this is a missing link, man. Yeah. You know? talking about this stuff and it's exactly what i needed 
you know, to be able to, to have the success that I didn't have. So it sounds like that kind of was maybe a similar path for you. Yeah, man. I think, um, you know, being an athlete's a kind of an important prerequisite. There's a lot of psychologists out there who are obviously very, very effective, but having that relatability is important. And, you know, most of my, most athletes come to me, you know, under the, the pretense of, Hey, will you help me change my body? And then ends up being, yes, I can. But the first step, as you know, is always, always, always 100% of the time, like, what's going on upstairs because if I can't change that, the likelihood of changing your body is literally impossible, right? And uh, it's this idea of people think that the body comes first and then the mind follows. But as you, I'm sure will tell it, and you, I'd love for you to kind of lead down that path is just this, my, my realization now after 20 years of doing this stuff that the mind has to always precede the body. Yeah, it's like, it's like you know, thoughts, thoughts can create feelings which drive behaviors, right? And how I like to go about it, ironically, how I like to go about it is, well, whatever your thoughts are and however you're feeling, let's, do, let's, let's execute the behavior anyway. But in order to execute the behavior anyway, you have to like make the pre-commitment that you're going to do that regardless of how you feel. Because it's like, how many times did you not feel like going to the gym, not want to go to the gym until, sure. you, got, until you got there? Right. It's like, I'm training for this 100-mile race June 1st. Oh, gosh. You know, I've never been... I'd never really been into running, and then I just was like, all right, I need something to, to really, really practice what I'm teaching, you know, and really put it into action, and signed up for an Ironman, and um, didn't know how to swim, didn't know how to bike when I got it, when I signed up, and just figured it out in 90 days, and then my wife got into it, so that's been really cool, that that's kind Very of like, cool, man. now as we do that stuff together, and yeah. Uh, but it's the ultimate process, you know, and it's the ultimate, you just, you get to a certain point where you know that regardless of how you feel and whether you want to do it or not, it's like the 99% commitment is a bitch and 100% is a breeze. Like I'm going to get up tomorrow at 5.30 a.m. I'm going to go to Pilates at 6 because my body feels better when I do it because most of the stuff I'm doing is straight line running, yep, right? Yep. And, and it doesn't really matter how I feel because I know I'm going to be in bed by 10. I know I'm going to get my seven and a half, eight hours of sleep, which, which is about all I can get anyway. I can't really stay in bed any longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you make that commitment, that's a mentality that you choose beforehand, right? And I think so many people allow their feelings to dictate their actions instead of their actions to change their feelings. Man, that's brilliant. And I read a book recently, I don't remember which one it was, just talking about how you know people who succeed in life don't have that mental dialogue that makes them go, should I do this or should I not? Because as soon as you have that dialogue, the hesitation, it's over, right? Totally. Like you're saying yourself, that 100% commitment. Like I, I know when I wake up at five o'clock that I'm out the door to the gym, no matter what happens. It's not like I sit there and go, well, should I have a coffee or should I have a donut? It's like, no, <laughs> get your ass up, get your shoes on out the door. And I think that is a really important skill to learn. Just getting rid of that, that, uh, the hesitation, getting rid of the, the likelihood that you're going to change your mind. And that, yeah, and that comes down to your AM routine, right? It comes down to your AM routine of having to make less decisions. Because if you have to make more decisions, you're always going to take the path of easiest resistance. Like make, yeah. the, make the pre-commitment, you know? And the, the analogy or the story that I use a lot when I'm talking about that is the myth of Odysseus. Are you familiar with that story? About I'm the not. Path? Nope. So Odysseus was a, was a sailor of a ship. And, and there, were, there were the sirens, which were like these beautiful mermaids that would sing this song. And all the ships would be like, oh, the beautiful mermaids. I want to hear the song. I want to get closer. And the ship would sail up and it would get stuck on rocks. And the mermaids would turn into demons. And they would come and basically kill the sailors and steal their ship and steal their gold. And Odysseus knew this. So he made a pre-commitment. 
And his pre-commitment was he was going to put wax in all the ears of his other sailors so they couldn't hear the song. And he tied himself to the top of the mast so high that he couldn't get down and he couldn't actually sail the ship to the rocks. So he went up on top of the mast, was tied there, could hear the siren song, screaming at his men to go in closer. They couldn't hear him. They couldn't hear the siren. So they sailed in, saw the rocks, and then sailed away. And he got to hear their song. And he's one of the only people that ever heard their song and lived because he made the pre-commitment of what he was going to do before he had to make the decision to do it. So interesting, man. And, you know, people often commend me for what I accomplished as a professional bodybuilder. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know how you did the commitment. I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you, you know, had that, that commitment with, with diet. Like you say, it's, it's not even a commitment. It's just like I just decided and there was no other option. So it wasn't willpower. It wasn't like, you know, I was stronger than anybody else. Or I better willpower. It was just like, this is what I'm going to do. There's the top of the mountain. I'm getting there no matter how, no matter how, what it takes. You know, you, 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 no matter how uncomfortable it is, you're going to commit to doing 100 miles, right? Unless something breaks along the t- on the way and they take you to the hospital, like, yeah, I'll finish it. Don't know how long it's going to take, but I'll get to the top of the mountain and, and uh, you know, tell you the story when it's done. Totally. And it's, you know, a guy that was 240 pounds, not good shape, and then went, you know, probably 25, 30% body fat, and ended up getting myself down to what, 184 and 6%, you know, and, and it will all of a lot of it was nutrition. And, and a big part of that game was like, just make the, the pre commitment and make the decision to not have the stuff you don't want to eat in your house. Mm-hmm. And then make the decision that when I'm traveling for 10 days, I used to pack a suitcase and 80% of it would be food. The other 20% would be my clothes. And I'd be traveling around the country, hitting my macronutrients based off of what I had in my suitcase. For days. Now, you know, yeah, I, I traveled the world and I would one, have one suitcase for clothes and one for food. And that literally like everywhere you go and you have at least one suitcase for food. <laughs> but, that, yeah. but that's what it takes, right? Yeah. That's what it takes. And, and, and the beautiful part about success is no matter what you or I or anyone else that's listening to this wants to do, there, it's already been done pretty much mm-hmm. so, unless you're you know i mean even if you want to go to the damn moon it's already been done right. and there, there's a path to get there just follow what other people have done it's not going to be easy but the path is clear man all right man so let's unwind this let's unpack all this how are we going to start teaching you know the average athlete and let's call it an athlete because that's what you and i both work with is like what's the steps i love you know i have your 10 pillars here in front of me i love to walk through those and what are the steps to unwind and unpack this? Like, hey, man, you know, you're not doing the things you want to do. What are your first interventions, call it, to begin allowing people to understand what it's going to take to truly accomplish their dreams? Yeah, I mean, the first, I think the first step to any change is awareness, right? So if you have awareness, you can grow. Or you, if you don't have awareness, you're going to get stumped. You're going to stump your growth, right? Because it's like I can't go somewhere or get something if I don't know where I want to go or what I want. And this mentality and, the, and the, the challenge we have, you know, as you know, is anybody in the country can make a podcast. Anyone can start a YouTube channel. Anyone can write a book. And there's so much information that's out there that's misinformation, not research-based, not time-tested and field-approved, right? It hasn't been used out in the real world. And most people walking around, people that we're coaching, they don't know the difference, right? So they hear a speaker, a motivational speaker, which I'm not. I'm a performance coach, mental performance coach. If they hear a speaker, they think, oh, I got to do that. 
Then they hear somebody else, oh, I got to do that. And they're like the rat going after the cocaine. Like a squirrel. Yeah, exactly. Just getting another hit, right? And it's like they're on Instagram and they're on Twitter and they're listening to 10 different podcasts, but they're not doing anything with what they learn because they're never in application mode. So the first thing I would do is I'd sit down with with the athlete I'm working with and I'd say, you want to, I would say, do you believe that mental toughness is important to success and what your goals are? And they would say, obviously, yes. I'd say, what percent? And most of them would say, you know, probably depending on the age and what they're after, anywhere from 70 to 90% mental. And say, okay, well, what are you doing to work on that? And then you get like the, uh, listening to podcasts, looking at Instagram, watching motivational speakers, right? But they can't put a pin on, I'm doing this number of sets, this number of reps, I'm trying to grow these areas, right? But if you're talking to an athlete, they'd say, I got to get more flexible. I got to develop more speed. I got to develop more power. I got to have better nutrition. Like there's tangible things they can do. So the mental performance right now is in the clouds. And what I've done with the mental performance mastery certification is take mental performance from the clouds and put it in the dirt like seeds so it can grow. So if you think about mental performance as a skill, and it's one of the skills you need to succeed in anything, and that skill is made up of skill sets. In the 10 skill sets that make mental toughness or make mental performance, let's out, I would start by outlining here's the 10 skill sets. Mm-hmm. And then I would have that, that client or that athlete of mine basically do a self-assessment in how they think they perform in those 10 skill sets. And that gives us kind of a baseline of where to start growing from. And I may ask them, which of these areas do we want to attack first? Which of these do you feel like is the one that's going to move the needle the most for you? And I would then rely on my experience in working with, with different athletes at different levels with different goals and say, this might be the area we want to start. But for the person listening to this podcast, those 10 seeds, those 10 areas, those 10 skill sets that make mental performance mastery, can we go through those? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So skill set number one is what we call an elite mindset. And we, then we can kind of flush out the ones that you want to. I'd love to hear what that means. Yeah. So, so basically elite mindset is, you know, it's kind of, it kind of plays off of Carol Dweck's uh, book mindset, right? Yep. Where she said you either have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Yep. And the fixed mindset is, well, you know, I'm a high percent body fat because that's the way my family was. And that's just the way I am. And, well, I don't have discipline because I didn't grow up around people that were disciplined and I'm right. not, I'm not good at structure. Where the growth story you tell yourself. Totally. Right. It's fixed. It's, it's something like, you know, to me, one of the first things I hear when people have a fixed mindset is they say, well, you know, things happen for a reason. And I go, well, wait a minute, the things happen for a reason or is there a reason why things happen? There's usually a reason why things happen because of small little decisions that you've made over the course of your life. Rome wasn't built in a day and it didn't collapse in a day either right? You become successful by small decisions and stacking habits. And you also collapse by small decisions and probably losing those habits. So the people with the growth mindset understand that I can literally become whoever and do whatever with enough time in the right training. And I think how, how much do you dig into people's unconscious belief systems around that? Like, you know, there, I know there's things that are, that we're conscious of, right? There's things that we're aware of, or at least hopefully we're conscious of. And then there's these things that lie somewhere underneath this, this line of consciousness, this, these unconscious beliefs about who we are and where we came from. And, and some of us aren't even aware of it. And I'm curious if you, if you have any strategies or even if you pay attention to it at all. I guess I would, I pay attention to it when they speak, mm-hmm. I pay attention to it in, in, in how they would answer questions. I would pay attention to it and say like, you know, when I would ask, why do you, why do you, why do you behave this way? Or what, tell me what you believe about this and listen to what they say and try to maybe, 
get a gauge for what their opinion is because often just like as coaches we coach the way that we were coached right so our clients or athletes are coming to us with a mindset probably based off of the environment that they were in so some of those beliefs that they have whether they be at a conscious or subconscious level some of those beliefs that they have are simply a byproduct of their environment mm-hmm. the great yoda right said in star wars he said you must unlearn what you have learned And a lot of times when they come to you, they come in with a certain belief system like that confidence is a feeling. And I'm here to say that confidence is not a feeling. It is a action. And if you feel confident, like walking out on a stage, did you always feel confident? As an MMA fighter walking to the octagon, having worked with five guys that have worn the the, the UFC championship belt around their waist, they don't always feel confident. There's always a little element of self-doubt. Could I have done a little bit more preparation? You know, am I ready for this? But what they all understand is that you have to act confident, right? And the whole mentality of fake it till you make it has been proven to actually be fake it till you become it by Mm -hmm. social psychologist Amy Cuddy at Harvard in her great book, Presence. So, you know, I kind of listen for, for what their mindset and their beliefs are. I think when you talk about subconscious beliefs and mindset, we're probably talking about the same thing. Yeah. Attitude, probably the same thing, just to, to help our listeners understand that attitude, mindset, perspective, beliefs, it's all kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's the idea, you know, that what did your parents tell you when you were a kid, right? And, and I, I know a lot of athletes and bodybuilders are probably maybe the worst demographic for this because often the most um, – ego-driven people is like someone along the line said, hey, you're skinny or or you're not able or you're not going to do it. And a lot of athletes, I think, have that internal unconscious drive to prove people wrong. Um, You know, so I ran into that a lot. And that's really what I want to say unconscious beliefs. Somebody along the way said, you're not, you're not good enough, said you're inadequate. And, you know, somewhere underneath it, that's either driving you or that's holding you back. Totally, totally. And it's like the mentality, right? When I've had athletes, so I got to prove these people wrong. That's my motivation. And then you say, well, is the motivation to prove them wrong or is it to prove you right? Mm-hmm. And they go, ooh, and think about it like that. You know, and you get that, when you get that, when you get like that aha moment where they go, ooh, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it like that, right? Because it's like, ultimately, you know, can, where are you going to draw more strength from, proving people wrong or proving yourself right? And I think the answer is both. I think you use both. I think right, that's the idea of grit, right? Totally. Use the, you use the dark side, man. And sometimes like when you got to push through a workout, it ain't about being positive, right? And sometimes when, when you're not, you, you have to put on, not take off the kid gloves and put on the MMA gloves, man. And you got to treat yourself with honesty and accountability. And sometimes you use that dark side or you use that, I'm going to prove people wrong. Uh, you use that for motivation. But I think the long-term motivation that can, is more, I want to prove myself right. But then again, no, it's not one way or the other, right? And this is when you start getting into mental performance and start looking at human beings. It's not, I don't, I don't operate or live in a black, white world. There's definitely gray area and what works for one person may not work at all for the next person, you know? So you have to have a toolbox of different strategies and techniques that are going to help people to grow the mindset, understand their mindset and get clarity around what works for them. It's a lot of a lot to unpack there. The idea of you know running away from a stick versus running toward a carrot is something that a lot of psychologists talk about. And you know which one is the, is the most powerful for you at that moment? Do you have any strategies on identifying that in people? Like, is it looking at their looking at the way they speak? Is it looking at their patterns? Is it looking at just having a conversation with them? Like, what is your motivation? I'm curious because I think that would be a huge takeaway for the listener. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's both, right? I think when you look at when you look at pillar number two, motivation and commitment, right? Mm-hmm. So when, pillar one, elite mindset. Pillar two, motivation and commitment. And when I when I wrote the mental performance mastery certification, I did it very linear. Like here's pillar one, here's pillar two, here's pillar three. But in rea- in actuality, it's like one big Venn diagram, right? There's overlap of everything. So yeah. your mind is going to affect your motivation and commitment and vice versa. It's like a two-lane superhighway. So one of the things I start with is asking, asking people around motivation and commitment, what is it you want and why do you want it? And then with regardless of what they say, right, for what they want and why they want it, I'll often challenge them as to why they want it and start, start going into what I call layering of, okay, well, why do you want it? Because I want to look great. Well, why is that important to you? Because I'll be more socially acceptable. Why is that important to you? And you keep starting, get you start, you keep getting them to stack reasons on top of each other. And I'll often write them down as they're as they're speaking. And I'll say, well, here's really why you want it. And it's like a list of a lot more than just that surface level, which we operate so many times, you know. And when you start, when you start having to, I don't know if the word is defend, but when you have to start digging into and becoming more aware, I think, of why you want what you want, it just strengthens it. It's like every time you say, this is why I want it, and this is why this is important to me, is all that's doing is it's like doing reps for your motivation and commitment. Because with a big enough reason why, you will find the way how to get it done. It's just connecting the dots and giving you clarity, right? It's like, oh, that's really why I want it. And now you, you can feel it. All about clarity. It's yeah. all about clarity. Because clarity leads to consistency. And with consistency, you can pretty much do anything. So pillar number two, motivation and commitment. What's pillar number three? Pillar number three is going to be focus and awareness, right? And and focus is, am I able to stay on task? Am I able to have the clarity of uh, of what I need to do right now in this moment? And awareness is, do I know when I get off task so I can refocus? Right? And the analogy we use a lot is the analogy of signal lights. So like when you're driving a car and you come to a green light, it's really easy. You go. You're driving a car, you come to a red light, really easy. You stop. But when you come to that yellow light, sometimes you speed up. You look, at the, you, look, you look in the intersection, you look behind you for a cop, and sometimes you speed up through the light and sometimes you slow down. But it takes awareness, right? So when people say, well, what's awareness? I'm like, when you drive through a yellow light, Sometimes you slow down, sometimes you stop. You have the awareness that you then use to make that decision, awareness of what's going on around you, right? So if we have the awareness of what's going on around us, we have the awareness of what's happening inside of us, we can then choose to focus on what we need to do in that moment to continue to move forward and progress towards our goals in that moment. And there's a deep area of conversation right there because I don't know what the demographic you deal with, but I, I would suggest that most people have a relatively superficial level of awareness and aren't paying attention to a lot of things that's going on. They don't have the focus, right? Like, you know, in my world and many of the worlds that I get to dive into, focus is waning. Focus, especially in our current day and age, is, is very short. And most people are, you know, like a squirrel trying to catch a nut kind of thing. They're, you know, looking from one place to the next in seven seconds of attention. What strategies are you using to implement and teach awareness and focus? For sure. Well, let's start with the focus piece. And I think probably the most, the most readily available and simple one, and, and I'll, I'll send you these, is called the concentration grid. And the concentration grid is a simple, you know, a, a hundred number box, so 10 by 10 grid, number 00 to 99. 
and you, you print the grid. If I'm working in a gym setting, I'm going to laminate the grid. I'm going to have it on a clipboard. I'm going to take a dry erase marker. In between sets, when I'm recovering, I want to work on my focus. So I, I, I finish my set. I get the clipboard. I know I've got two minutes for the set. I want to see how many numbers I can cross off in that two-minute period. And now I start competing with myself in between sets and during that recovery or I'm competing with other people if I'm, if I'm working in a team setting. And what you find out is that when you're doing the concentration grid, right, you're like, okay, there's zero, there's one, there's two, there's three, where's four? Where's four? I can't believe four is not on here. What's that over there? Okay, where's four? What was I doing? Where's four? Oh, there's four. That's awareness. Awareness of when your mind wanders and you bring it back. Awareness of when you're you know, saying, okay, four is not on here. I can't find four. Where is four? Well, four is on there. You're just probably at this point, like trying too hard, right? Sometimes the challenge we have is we'd start trying too hard and we're all over the place. And if we just take a deep breath, it's almost like four will appear or the number mm-hmm. will appear. So I think a lot of times focus, and we've done this when I, when I was with Yale University and their athletic department, their strength coach, Tom Newman, we would go into the brain lab. And he would actually quantify and show scientifically what would happen when an athlete, like we'd have a quarterback in there looking at it on a computer screen of a game and he'd be standing up and going through and out loud like he would on the football field, calling out the play call and calling out where the safety is and going through the whole thing with this contraption on his head. As he would then take a deep breath and call for the football, you would see what would happen in the brain when he would bring that oxygen in. And then you would see what would happen if he took, like, as he was looking at the sideline, he took a deep breath. As he was scanning the field, took a deep breath, made his play calls and said what he had to do, take a, took a deep breath and, took, and then caught the snap. So what, he, what would happen if he took more than one deep breath and how much more clear his focus was, how much what it would do for his heart rate, what it would do for his decision. Fascinating crazy i love that you're doing that i didn't realize there was people out there actually taking in an athlete and quantifying that stuff but you're actually part of the research yeah i try to be you know it's not it, it's the cha- the challenge is is having the availability i mean tom newman is really the, the genius behind the research there uh, in the in the sports science area mm-hmm. um you know so i'm just kind of carrying on his coattails he'd be a fabulous guest for you tom newman the the director of strength and performance at yale university in our athletic department so you know, it's, it's, I've, that's been something that I'd really like to think, I'd really like to try to get better at in the field of mental performance is how to bring in the sports science in terms of the quantification. It's just, I don't think having someone, you know, sit in a, in a lab is going to translate to what's going on when you're on the field in front of 80,000 people. You've got to find a way to get data from what happened. Just the awareness of like, Hey, when I look to the right, I'm going to take a breath. When I look, when I look straight, I'm going to take a breath. That I, I would feel if they did it enough times, it would transfer to the field because it's almost just ingraining that, that repetitive habit. Totally. So what we would do with Yale football is you'd love this. They would go through and they would do their warm up, and then the coach would literally have everyone lay down on the turf and you would talk them through a focus exercise, which we would call six to eight breathing. So they'd inhale for six seconds. Hold for two, exhale for eight. And they would do five to ten of those breaths and you can just feel themselves get locked in feel the anxiety go away feel themselves get more present and then in how that translates to in football is anytime there'd be a timeout he would step in the huddle tony reno their football coach he'd step in and he'd say hey six to eight breath everybody would take a six to eight breath and then the message that he would deliver himself would be more clear the athletes would hear the message more clear 
and after a down, let's let's say four downs in, on defense, and the players come to the sideline, they're all excited. They'd sit down on the bench, and before the coach, the defensive coordinator, whoever, would start talking to them about adjustments and things they have to make when they go back out. The defense, one of the defensive captains, predetermined before the game. Uh, would say to everybody, hey, six to eight breaths. And guys would be taking their six to eight breaths with their helmets on, unbuckled. And when the helmets would come off, it meant they had gone through their breathing and they were ready to learn about what happened on that series and start bridging the gap to the next series. They were in control themselves and ready to go. Man, I absolutely love that. The fact that there's teams out there anchoring the ability to bring yourself down into an alpha state or calm yourself out of, out of a sympathetically dominant state is brilliant. I do have my kids, which is strange. It's been my, my best parenting trick is every morning we wake up and we'll do, my kids are young. So we're doing, you know, a four, eight kind of breath where it's like four in, eight out with, with a slight hold. And then every time they start acting up rather than going yelling at them or send them to the room, like, Hey, I need you to take five breaths. And they're always doing four, eight count where it's four in and eight out. And that right there, if you can anchor your kids to do three to five breaths when they're a little bit amplified or a little bit hectic, bang, they're, they're calm. They're back into an alpha state, whether we homeschool. So whether we're homeschooling or we're just you know, trying to keep them settled, settled down, it's the easiest thing, man. It prevents me ever from having to yell or raise my voice or punish anybody. It's beautiful. Oh, and imagine, and just think about how that's going to serve them throughout their entire life, right? right. I mean, think about for the people listening to this, think about when you lose self-control, how that affects your marriage, how that affects your relationship with your kids, how that affects your business, how that affects your life, how that affects your decision-making around alcohol. Then maybe you get behind the wheel of a car. Yep. Every, every negative thing that usually happens in your life is a byproduct of you losing self-control and not having the awareness or the strategy, the breathing to be able to get yourself back in control. It's just, it's an internal coping mechanism, right? Everyone has these external coping mechanisms. I'm going to go eat food or I'm going to go drink alcohol or I'm going to go you know, do something reckless, right? Creating an internal coping mechanism, I think, is, is a superpower for somebody if you really want to excel as a human being. Totally. Um, one, of, one of my mentors, Dr. Rob Gilbert, always says, he says, you can either learn meditation or you can take medication. <laughs> pills or you're going to be reliant on the pills. Oh, beautiful. Man. I'm going to steal that one, I'm sure. Um, so pillar number four. Yeah, pillar number four is going to be self-control and discipline. And we've, you know, and again, these are all overlapping, right? So yeah. self-control is, and, and this comes from Dr. Ken Revisa, uh, my mentor in sports psychology. Again, as I, as I said, the John Wooden of, of mental performance in sports psychology he was a professor at Cal State Fullerton over 40 years in Major League Baseball. He was with Joe Madden and the Chicago Cubs when they just won the World Series. Oh, wow. The curse, and he unfortunately passed away in July of 2018. And, and Ken Revisa in his book, Heads Up Baseball, which even if you're a base, whether you're involved in baseball or not, it is single-handedly the greatest book I've ever read on performance. Really? Changed, changed the entire course of my life. Heads Up Baseball by Ken Revisa. Super simple read. And if you just change the word baseball to training, change the word baseball to football, change the word baseball to parenting, it's going to change your life. And, and one of the first principles he shares in there is that you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. And he says there's very little there, that you have very little control over what goes on around you, but total control of how you choose to respond to it. And it's that mentality of Urban Meyer at Ohio State in his book Above the Line talks about E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. Right. Not always responsible for the events that happen to us, but always responsible for our response to those events. Yeah. And that response is going to influence the outcome. So for me, self-control is, is almost a stoic principle of understanding that you got to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. And then the discipline is 
can you do, can you get yourself to do the things that you don't always feel like doing? Can you get yourself to do the things that you know are necessary, but might not want to do? And if you always do the things that you want to do, you don't often have the time to do the things that you maybe have to do in order to be successful. So that's where you can't let, you know, your feelings drive the bus. You have to let your plan drive the bus. Right. And when you take the plan of this is what I'm going to do because this is going to position me to get my result, whether you feel like it or not becomes irrelevant. So one that, of the, one of that circles things, back to your clarity and purpose. Totally. Totally. And we say function over feeling function. What do I need to do or focus over feeling? What do I need to be doing right here? And then the discipline, the discipline to make the right decisions around nutrition. It, cause, cause you know, you've, you've probably had clients that have come to you as I have that, that, that they want to improve their, their physical energy. They want to improve their physique and you give them a nutrition plan and then they just don't have the discipline to go to the grocery store and get what they need to get. Well, their purpose isn't big enough, right? They haven't got clarity. Well, if you have clarity on their why and their purpose, it's so easy, man. It's it's not even a question. But if they're, you know, ambiguously floating through life and they don't have a reason why, it's very easy to cheat, you know? So it's just getting clarity, I think. Totally. It's, that goes back to that 99% is a bitch, 100% commitment is a breeze. If you're 99% committed to not eating fast food, every time you drive by Mickey D's, you got to You're going to think about it, yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's that's a great one. Uh, all that was seems like it's founded in Victor Frankl's Men's Search for Meaning, right? The idea. Oh, of, yeah. Yes, it's the first book that Ken Revisa had us read in grad school. Man, I walked in. He said, first book, Man's Search for Meaning. Read it, and we'll talk about it tomorrow in class." And at that point, like the only book I had read was Heads Up Baseball, right? So, I, so I get Man's Search for Meaning, and I'm like, "Wow." That's when I understood leaders are readers. That's when I understood the power of hearing other people's experiences you know, and what we call is the two types of experience, expensive and inexpensive. Expensive experience is learning from your own mistakes and own failures. Inexpensive experience is learning from those from others. for you, right? Yeah. And Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, if people aren't listening, if people have not read that, press pause right now and go get it on Amazon. Go read it. Game changer. Yeah, I was funny. I was actually teaching my kids that yesterday, the idea of, you know, a smart man or a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. And, uh, you know, a less wise man will learn from, have to learn the hard way, learn it himself. And trying to teach that to a seven-year-old kid yesterday was an interesting, uh, you know, play on words. I was manipulating my words and, and very careful with the way I chose to say it. And, yeah, see how that goes over. And ask me in 15 years how it went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, and ask him and say, hey, is that, is that expensive or inexpensive experience right there? Just get him to use that terminology. Hey, you know, hey, you got in a fight with your brother and now you're going to your room for the next three hours. Is that expensive or inexpensive experience right there? You know, or hey, you saw this this person on TV, this NFL player said this, and now they're getting fined fifty thousand dollars. Is that expensive or inexpensive experience right there? I like it. I like it a lot. So uh, pillar number four, self-control and discipline. What's pillar number five? Pillar number five is process over outcome. And everybody wants the outcome but they don't necessarily want to want to work the process. And if you think about a process over outcome, the picture that I often will draw up, often I'll always draw up because most people are visual learners and they'll understand it this way is that of a staircase. So the outcome on the top of that staircase, this is the outcome I want, body fat percent, you know, body weight, whatever it would be. And then the steps are, what are all the little steps in the process that I have to take to get me to that outcome? That's the process. Mm -hmm. And the bigger your goal, the tighter your process has to become. So when Nick Saban, the, arguably the greatest coach in the world right now, the head football coach at the University of Alabama, however many national championships he won, he doesn't talk about winning as much as he talks about winning the moment. He doesn't talk about being a national champion as he does about making the right decision in the next you know, hour 
about what you're trying to do with your time and what you're and, and what you have to do right now to position yourself down the road to get to where you want to be. And the beautiful thing about the process is that everyone listening to this, their process is working perfectly for the results that they get. Right. So don't like the results that they have. They got to work on their process. It's funny again, coming back to my son, it seems like I'm teaching him some, some lessons. We had a, we're teaching him the big life journal right now. So he's got this journal called the big life journal. And there was a, there was a picture in it two days ago where there's a, a staircase that goes all the way to the sky and he looks at it and he, I go, he goes, what? I asked him, would it be hard to climb that staircase? He goes, Oh, it'd be really hard. But would it be hard to take one step? Could you go up one step? And he goes, yes, I could do that. And just walking him down that path of like, it's about that one step at a time and that one process. It's funny how all of these things are tying in beautifully to what my, my homeschooling curriculum tends to look like. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, pillar number six. Yeah, so after, after the, the process over outcome, pillar number six is meditation and mental imagery. Mm-hmm. And the difference being meditation is about calming and quieting your mind. It's a basically a practice or a training for quieting and calming your mind where, where mental imagery is more active in that it's like a preparation tool. It's mm-hmm. a confidence building tool. You're seeing yourself walk out in a bodybuilding competition and performing and you know the energy that you want to project and what your facial expression is going to look like and you're going to feel what the lights are going to be like and what the crowd's going to be like and you're hearing your music and all that. So you're basically doing the performance before the performance because the first time should never be the first time. And one of my mentors, a guy named Skip Bertman, who was a baseball coach at Louisiana State University, won five national championships in the 90s. When I asked him what I called a million-dollar question, I think you're going to love this one. The million-dollar question is, what do you know now you wish you knew then? I said, Skip, you won five national championships. You've been the athletic director at LSU. You hired Nick Saban and Les Miles, who both won national championships in college football. What do you know now you wish you knew or you could go back and say to the 30-year-old Skip Bertman as a coach? He sits back and he says, Brian, the thing I know now I wish I knew back then was that everything happens twice, first in your mind, then in reality. This was amazing. We were sitting in the dugout at LSU. And he says, you know, when I came here from Miami and I looked around, I saw the playground down there where kids would be playing and there'd be a net over the playground so no one could get hit with a foul ball. I saw the batting cages down there. I saw the tiger cage out front of the stadium where Mike the live tiger would live so that people could see that as our mascot. I saw the big jumbotron, the intimidator in right field. And when I looked at the scoreboard over there, I saw Skip Bertman Field. And the kid, you know, I got goosebumps all over my body. He goes, and, and the next day, that was on Saturday. On Sunday, they were dedicating the field to Skip Bertman. Wow. How about that? He's like, everything happens twice. First in your mind, then in reality. He said, but it doesn't just happen by accident. It only happens by intention, and you have to work ridiculously hard. Let me repeat that, Brian. Ridiculously hard every single day to get what you want but everything happens twice. It'll never happen unless you see it first. So much wisdom in that, right? Create it in your mind and get some clarity. And I think as an athlete, that was really hard for me to get was, um, you know, everyone always said, oh, mental imagery. And uh, it's really hard to understand the levels of like, how extensive does my visualization need to be? I love, I know you kind of walked us through a little bit, you know, getting in the details of using the senses and using, using the lights and, do you, have a, do you have a particular process that you'll walk somebody through? Let's say we're, you know, we're going up to, to bat in the World Series and, you know, or, or maybe they're going to pitch in the World Series. Do you have a particular uh, set of uh, processes you walk through? Sure. So I'll, I'll use um, 
let me give you a couple examples, live examples is just, just a few days ago, I was with the Marquette women's basketball team and we were playing at Texas A&M in a, in a round of 32 game winner goes to the sweet 16. And, you know, we played, we won an overtime game against Rice on Friday, super emotional, high energy. We go back to the hotel. Everyone's still giddy and excited about the game. And it's like, Hey, at some point we process this and then we got to turn the page to get focused on Texas A&M. And the sooner we turn the page and get focused on our next opponent, the better our preparation is going to be. And we all know that separation is in preparation. So we had them lay down on the ground and I talked them through a visualization that follows four steps. Step one is what I call relaxation. I'll take them through some simple meditation, breathing like a six to eight breath, which we've talked about. Inhale for six, hold for two, exhale for eight. Part of the relaxation will be a body scan. We'll have them put their awareness from their toes and kind of go through body part by body part up to their head. And then I'll have them go through what I would call like a progressive muscle relaxation. Squeeze your, squeeze your legs, let it go. Raise your legs, let them go. Squeeze your hands, let them go. Squeeze your face, let it go. So they get into a relaxed state. It takes about four to, eh, four to five minutes. Then we go into what I would call confidence conditioning. Other people may refer to it as self-talk training or affirmation training. I'd say things like in a basketball setting, you know, uh, I, I push the tempo and attack the rim. And I would say that and then give them a pause to say it to themselves. And I would say that three times. I would say something like, I'm physical on box outs and, uh, you know, take a body when the shot goes up. And all those things that I'm saying, I'm actually, I'm actually getting from the coach saying, hey, what are the things that we need to be doing in tomorrow's game to give us the best chance? And then I'm reinforcing those. And then so mental step two is that confidence conditioning. Step three is what we call mental recall. So I say, now I want you to go back to a moment in time and replay your best basketball success. So they're going back through highlights, whether it was that day's game or previous games that season, or even back to like when they were in high school and they're seeing themselves play the way, the way they want to play. And then I'd say, and now I want you to go to step four, mental rehearsal. I want you to go forward into tomorrow, into our next game with Texas A&M. Put yourself back in that arena. Feel the energy of the crowd. See the uniform we're wearing. See what they're wearing. And then I would, then I would have the head coach there. And I'd say, and the ball's tipped. And then she would go into like very specific things that they would be doing as part of the preparation process. So I'm bringing in the head coach who can make it more real because she can speak a language to them about what they're doing that I don't know. So if I'm working with an individual athlete, I'll literally type up everything that they will have the conversation. I'll say, well, tell me about your games. You go back to how do you want to see yourself in your next performance, step four. Then I'd write all that out. And then I would take them through it, audio record it, put it in a Google Drive folder because Google Drive works like the poor man's app. It's right there on their phone and they have access to the audio within minutes of us finishing the recording so they can do it consistently. So that's, that's the pretty standard mental imagery process that I'll use. Uh, there's also active mental imagery. For example, when I worked with George St. Pierre at, his first, at our first UFC fight together, UFC 74 against Josh Koscheck after his first fight after losing to Matt Sarah. And the morning of the fight, he's not fighting until probably 10 o'clock at night, Vegas time. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning in Vegas. And, you know, we're like, well, what, what now? It's my first fight with a, first fight with a UFC fighter, and it's the best guy, right, in St. Pierre. And I'm like, well, what are we doing now? It's 11 o'clock in the morning. He's like, oh, we just kind of wait, wait around and prepare, you know, and eat and get ready for the fight and just relax. I'm like, well, let's go to the, let's go to the arena. He's like, you want to go to the arena? Like, yeah, we go to the arena. We go in the locker room. And he does a very, very light warm-up. Doesn't even break a sweat. And then we simulate active imagery, him walking through the tunnel, getting down to the curtain. I walk out with the, like his camera right in his face like they do on fight night. And he practices his routine of walking to the octagon, 
getting, you know, going into a huddle with his coaches, getting up in the octagon, doing the cross, spitting the water in the air and circling around in the octagon at 11 o'clock in the morning when he fights like 12 hours later. And then we'd have his, his coach simulate Josh Koscheck and he would come out and they would, you know, they would pummel or do some wrestling type things just for us a little bit. And then we'd go back to the locker room and do the whole process over again. And we would do the process three or four times. That would I would call active imagery or the walkthrough. And we would do that walkthrough three or four times. And then that night after the fight, he's like, that's, that's the most calm, confident, present, and connected I've ever been walking to an octagon. And then I started doing it with a lot of other fighters. One guy, Brandon Thatch, who was a training partner of George. I remember UFC in Indianapolis. I was working with Donald Cerrone and him and Thatch trained together in Denver. So that morning, Cerrone and I were doing the walkthrough and Thatch was there and he's like, hey, can I do this with you guys? Yeah, sure. So Thatch is walking through. And I remember after the first time he walks through, he goes, dude, because I was so nervous doing that. I almost pissed my pants, you know, because it's the first time you walk into an arena that big and you get up inside of the cage. And so we did it again four or five times. Well, that night, Thatch goes in the octagon, walks in like he invented the sport, walks in huge body language, tons of confidence, acting as if he's the impossible for him to fail, gets in the octagon, scores a knockout in like 95 seconds, gets a $50,000 knockout in night bonus. Here's the even more amazing thing. We're in the locker room afterwards. Dana White comes on and says, you know, performance bonuses of the night, so-and-so, so-and-so, and Brandon Thatch, knockout of the night. He takes out a check. He goes, guys, look at this. He had taken out a check, crossed off his name on the top left corner, wrote UFC, and put in the date and $50,000 for knockout of the night. Everything happens twice. Wow. Very cool. How do you get buy-in? I'm very curious because I know a lot of guys are very uh, stuck in their routines, especially with combat sports, right? You're like, hey, man, I'm about to go in there and somebody's coming ultimately trying to kill me. Um, I would presume it'd be pretty hard to get buy-in of anything that's outside the routine. Yeah, I mean, if they don't, and a lot of times they don't know what their routine is. A lot of times they don't have a routine, right? And then if they do have a routine, what I'll often do is I'll say, okay, well, show me your routine. Let's walk through your routine. And you'd be amazed how, how many UFC fighters, they, they would practice, they practice everything but the walk-in. And then they go, I mean, I lost the fight before it started. Why? I got oh, consumed by the walk-in. I got so nervous. So they haven't, practiced, they haven't practiced the whole process. They practice the fight, but they don't practice everything that leads up to the fight, right? So like mm-hmm. um, sometimes I start asking them about their routine and they have a superstition. Superstition and routine are totally different. Superstition. Yeah. Superstition is I wear this pink underwear because it gives me power and I win. <laughs> Routine is I walk to the octagon with big body language because physiologically it changes who I am by the time no I question. Get, right. So yeah. the difference between superstition and routine is superstition is the power is outside of you. And in routine, the power is inside of you. And you're trying to position yourself to give yourself the best chance for success by following a predetermined set of steps that physiologically, scientifically, and psychologically position you to be in the best state at that moment. It's not a magic pill. It's not like you're going to feel a certain way. That's why we say we talk about the minimizing how you feel and focusing on how you act. Case in point, Jake Arrieta, pitcher with the Phillies now, wins a Cy Young as the best pitcher in the National League in 2015 with the Cubs. Started with Jake in 2007 when he was in college at TCU. He has written underneath the brim of his hat from 2007 at TCU until now. And in 2015, when he won the Cy Young, his second half of that season, the single greatest half statistically in Major League Baseball history for a pitcher. No hitters. Unbelievable. He writes the word ace. Acting changes everything. 
because he realizes that confidence can't just be a feeling because you're not always going to, you can't control how you feel. He says, confidence is an action. I can control how I project my confidence. I can control my body language, my focus. I can control my self-talk. And if I lock in on those three things, I'll project confidence. And in his sport, you can't give an inch to a hitter. You have to project confidence at all times. And I think it's that way in a lot of sports. So this is massively applicable for people doing, you know, the big events, the baseball, the basketball, the fights. How about someone just like day to day showing up and, and projecting confidence? Do you have any maybe shorter routines short of like walking in and practicing the whole routine every day? How do I show up at the gym? How do I show up at my house? How do I show up at my work Absolutely. with absolute confidence? Absolutely. A lot of routine and setting your mindset is through what I call association and a physical trigger. So for example, uh, like if you watch LeBron James, right? He puts, he puts powder on his hands before the game, throws it up in the air. That's a routine for him that's like I'm getting, I'm getting locked in, right? And Kobe Bryant would sit down and Kobe Bryant would, before a game, before he would get, they would do announcements, you know, and now starting from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're a point guard, double zero, Kobe Bryant. He would get down, he would untie his shoes. He would tie up his shoes and he would say, lock it in, Mamba mentality. And I think that piece right there can fit for anyone is that use your shoes to affect your mindset or when you change your clothes. So let's say you're working in the, in the fitness industry, you're a personal trainer, and you have the mother of three who's getting up in the morning. She's making breakfast for everybody. She's dropping the kids off at the school. She's going home. She's doing what she does there. She's got an hour to come to, in the, into the gym to work with you. And she comes in and it's chaos. Because then she's got an hour and then she has to go pick up the kids at school, right? But that hour is, is critical. That hour is only critical to her physical health. That hour is critical to her mental health and how she's going to interact with her family and raise her kids. So that hour that you get with her is critical as the coach. And you have to be able to help get her mind right so that you'd say, okay, when you pull into the gym and you're in your car, when you pull into the parking space, I don't care if you're late for your appointment or not, your training session, when you pull into the parking space, I want you to take out a notebook that's going to live in the console of your car, and I want you to write down three major focuses for you that day. You know, uh, hit every rep, smile when I walk in, carry myself with a big body language. So she sets three intentions, and then she'll take a deep, then she'll close her eyes and spend literally a, a minute, inhale and say your first intention, and exhale. Inhale, say your second intention, exhale. Inhale, say your third intention, exhale. And just that's like, like the reset button. Then get out of the car, leave your phone in the, well, she may not be able to leave her phone in the car because she has kids and they may have to be available. But when you get out of the car, phone's in the pocket, walk into the gym. And I've literally had coaches that would go out to their car, out to the car with the client and walk them through this whole process. They would say, your training session does not start when you get on the floor. Your training session starts when you pull into the parking lot. And then when you get out of the car and you doot, doot, you lock your car door, that's locking in your mindset for what you're doing. You're walking with big body language on your way into the gym. If you see someone walking out, you're saying, hey, good afternoon or hey, good morning to get your energy going out. When you come in, you're going to say hello intentionally and verbally to the person who's at the desk. You're going to go in. If you're changing your clothes in the gym, when you change your clothes, you leave all your personal life in the locker and you put on the ultimate athlete for that next hour. If you come in in your clothes, have a separate pair of shoes, come in in sandals or whatever it is you wear flip-flops. And when you come upstairs and you put those flip-flops away and you put your socks on and you tie your shoes, that's locking in your mindset. That's when I show up and it's go time. Beautiful, man. So much value there. Um, so that's pillar number six, mental imagery and meditation. What's pillar number seven? 
I'll lead just right into perfect routine, yep. habits of excellence. Can you see how all these are aligned in a certain yeah, way? Perfect. Yep. So it's like the big Venn diagram. So, you know, that routine and habit of excellence, part of the routine is using the mental imagery and meditation, right? Part of the routine is checking in on my focus and awareness, going one set, one rep at a time. So routines and habits of excellence, ultimately you become what you do on a daily basis, right? And, and you look the way you do and I look the way I do based off of what we have done physically for routines and habits for a long period of time. And if we want to change the way that we look or change the way that we feel or change our financial status or change the relationship with our spouse, it's going to come down to what we do as part of our routine and habits on a consistent basis. And most people do not intentionally set their routines and habits so they don't have any or they don't have any positive productive ones, right? They don't, they don't do a checkup from the neck up and go, how do I want to live and then are my routines and habits helping me to get there? So the first place for people to start and if you've seen the video of Admiral William McRaven speaking. Oh, that's great. Speaking, right? Okay. So make like, your bed, man. Make your bed. <laughs> totally. First thing he says, right, is first thing that first thing yeah. they train the most hard warriors on the planet, Navy SEALs, to do when they wake up is make their bed. Why? You show attention to detail. You show discipline over yourself and the ability to act different than how you feel. And making that part of your routine all of a sudden starts you and it's a little win and it starts building momentum for yourself. So one of the first things that I would do, this ironic, I have, uh, one of my clients is in town. He plays for the Chicago Blackhawks. They're playing the Coyotes tonight. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And we were talking and he said, last night at dinner, he goes, you know, this is the best year I've had statistically in hockey. And he goes, and I think the, a large reason why, he said, as, as crazy as it might sound is, because I have a really intentional AM and PM routine. And, he, and it's as simple as wake up, make my bed, take my morning supplements and vitamins, do my foam roll and body work in the morning to, open, to, to loosen up and, and keep my body healthy. And then he'll sit and he'll do his visualization of seeing how he wants his day to go. And then he's into his day. And he says, then at night, what I do when I get back to the hotel or back to my apartment is I'll take a shower. When I'm in the shower, I'll visualize how my day went. And I'll visualize, you know, so he'll shower at the rink, literally drive home and shower again at his house. And when he's showering at his house, it's less about getting clean and more about cleaning out his mind. And he sits there and he visualizes how his day went and things that he did well, he replays. Things that didn't go well, he'll recorrect. So he'll see himself doing it the way he wanted to. He'll then read a page of Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic that reinforces mindset. He might listen to Dr. Rob Gilbert's Success Hotline podcast. And then he'll just do a quick little journal that we call the well, better, how we'll write down, here's what I did well today. Here's what I want to do better. And here's how I'm going to do it. That's his, puts his phone on airplane mode, sets the alarm, goes to bed. Love it, man. Incredible wisdom in there. Um, creating a mental routine is, you know, something I think that everyone advocates. Yet a lot of times people have a hard time doing it. And you said something in there that was brilliant. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody, maybe you said it once before today was, acting differently than you feel. And there's tremendous power in that sure. um, because it's hard. You, you need to be aware and you need to take action. You need to be aware. You need to know how you're supposed to behave and you need to then have the self-control and discipline to be able to do it. So <clears throat> simply, you know, we can say act different than how you feel. It takes a lot of those 10, 10 skill sets to be able to do that. One you got to know what you want to do. You got to know what you're supposed to do to help you in that moment to get there. You have to have this focus and awareness to know that you're not doing it. You have to have the self-control and discipline to get yourself to do it. There's a lot that comes into it. But if you, so, so as we're talking about these, hopefully the listeners can see how all of these 10 pillars are overlapped and aligned. And they're sitting there and they're saying, 
if I don't do this with my athletes, they cannot get their goals. If I don't do this with my clients, they cannot achieve their ultimate potential as quickly, as easily. And, and or they may just may not be their best, right? They may be able, they may get their goals by accident. Some people do it, like stumble upon these things by accident, right? So a lot of them do. It's called a high level of talent. Yeah, right? for sure. They don't need coaches. They just need opportunities. But the one thing I always go back to, right, is if you watch the Olympic Games, summer, winter, doesn't matter. Opening ceremonies of the Olympics is one of my favorite things to see because there's one thing that every one of those Olympic athletes has in common. They all have a coach. And for the people listening to this that are athletes that are looking for a coach or for the coaches that are listening to this that are looking for a little bit of an edge to get better, I think that missing link is mental performance. And I think if you're, you can have great nutrition, you can have a great physical conditioning program, but if you're missing the mindset, you're not going to be able to maximize the physical conditioning and the nutrition. And I think for the coaches listening to this, if they, if they understand the, what I call the triad, right, the triangle, nutrition, physical conditioning, and mental performance, and depending on the time or year or the person, every one of those, it's like number one, number one, number one. I don't think there's one, two, three. I think they're all critical. And they're all number one at a certain time. If you can get all three of those, you're going to become world-class at helping people achieve their goals. Brilliant, man. So that's pillar number seven. Pillar number eight. Time management and organization. The one factor that's the same for everybody who wants what you want, who wants to be you know, world-class bodybuilder, the one who wants to have the number one podcast, the one who wants to, to win the deal, whatever it is, if they're in the corporate world, right? If it's a, if it's a baseball player, the one who wants to be an all-star or win a Cy Young, if they want to win a Heisman Trophy, which Kyler Murray did at Oklahoma last year. The one factor it's the same for all of you is time. And if you're not great with your time, eventually you will lose to the person who is. And there's, you know, so here's one of the things I do with time is I call it a 168 plan. There's 168 hours in a week. Sunday, part of my routine is I sit down and I map out where every one of those 168 hours is going to go. Really? Yes. And what that does for me is then I intentionally set up a great week in alignment with my goals. And then that week is broken down into a great day. And that great day is broken down into blocks. So like for this morning, my, my wake up AM routine block, 5.30 to 5.50. And then I had a, the drive to Pilates block, 5.50 to, to 5.58. Pilates block, 6 to 6.50. Drive home and get ready to run block, 6.50 to 7.10. Run eight miles, 7.10 to 8.30. And all I have to do is be where my feet are and be present in that block because I don't have to think about what's next. All I have to do is attack what's in front of me, attack what's next. I don't have to think about it. Wow. And, and then, so I'll sit down on Sunday, map out the next week or two. And then the, at night, part of my PM routine is I'll sit down tonight and then look at tomorrow and go, okay, is this still how I want to attack it? Because just because I have a plan for a day doesn't always mean the day is going to go exactly to that plan. Things happen. Life happens. So for today, for example, I had an article I was supposed to write and a call I was on went, went longer than I had expected. It was very good. And then I took that article and just moved it to my next work block, which was tomorrow from one to seven. It said work block TBD. And then today I'm just funneling things that come up or things that I want to get to tomorrow into that work block. Do you have a planner for that 168 or is that something you just write in a, in a, like a lined notebook? Well, I, I do it. I do it in Google Docs. So I do it in Google Docs on my computer, and then on my cell phone, I have the Google Docs app, and I put it right down in that bottom toolbar. Right. So the bottom toolbar is phone, 
text messages, email, and Google Docs. So when I click on Google Docs on my phone, it opens up my 168 schedule in my plan. So I set it on my computer, but then I can always see it on my phone. Challenge I've had is that if I, you know, if I'm taking, a, I don't want to be carrying a paper and pencil notebook with me because I'm on the road 280 days a year. I've tried to minimize and take everything I can in the, in the backpack that's over there. So I can go on the road for 10 days with just that backpack. And granted, I wear the same clothes all the time and I only, I only wear black, so I don't have to make any decisions there. It's a time saver, but good thinking. Um, yeah, but that's you know that's how I keep my schedule. And the thing I like about doing it in Google Docs, and it's really an agenda form, right? So if you're going on a road trip as a team, you'd see an agenda. Um, is I can break it off. I can I can have ten minute blocks. I can have an hour block. I can I can really get in there and dive deep into into how I want those time blocks to look. Where when I've tried doing it like an Outlook calendar or a Google calendar you're kind of limited to like the, the 15 minute block window and it's just found it to be more problematic than just doing it in, in freehand word document. Or Google Doc. So pillar number eight is time management and organization. What's pillar number nine? Pillar number nine is going to take us to leadership, right? So pillar one through eight are really the skills that I think all athletes have to have. And then as you look at coaching and the mental performance mastery certification was created for, for coaches. I think coaches are also, they have to be great leaders. And leadership ultimately is the influence that you have and ability to impact others. And leadership, I think, comes down to two things. Again, this comes from uh, heavily influenced by Urban Meyer and his book, Above the Line, and then Brian and Tim Kite of the Focus Three group, of that leadership is the ability to build trust and your ability to get results. And building trust is a byproduct of your connection with people, which comes from time and shared adversity. Building trust is, a, is, is through competence. You can help people close the gap from where they are to where they want to be, you know, the strategies. And then it's through character. Do you morally and ethically have the other person's best interest in mind or do you have your own best interest? So if you, once you're able to build that trust, then you can start working on getting results and getting results comes down to, like we've talked about in the beginning of the podcast, having clarity, providing people, dotting yourself with people that give you accountability and then having the right support or it's going to be to get answers. Support's going to be people that are not going to be the yes men or the yes women who are just going to tell you what you want to hear, but are going to challenge you. So you get back on, on the course of where you're trying to go. You know, so I think that's, that's ultimately what, what leadership is, is your ability to build trust with people and then help them get results. And if you can do that, people will follow you. And if you can't do that, people aren't going to follow you. They're going to go follow someone else. They're going to go train with someone so if you Totally true. You don't have the leadership skill to help build trust with your clients and get results. They're going to go somewhere else where they can find that trust and find the way to get results. Leadership, I think, is where a lot of people break down, right? Is is where, you know, if you don't have that clarity, if you don't have that conviction, if you don't have the ability to build culture and rapport, leadership's a, a thing that tends to, a lot of people tend to break down. Especially if you're a gym owner, right? If you're a gym owner, you're not training athletes, you're training coaches. Your primary mission as a gym owner is leadership. That's your number yeah. one job. Yep. Um, Amazing. Pillar number nine is leadership. What's pillar number 10? Pillar number 10, you just said, my friend, it's culture. And yeah. pillar number 10 is culture. And what culture is, is, you know, culture is very simply what I call the MVP process. Mission, vision, principles. Yeah. And mission is, what do you want on your gravestone? What's your clear purpose, big reason why you exist? That's the mission. The vision is tangible resume. What do I want to get done? Did I do it? Yes or no? So for me, my personal mission, and I really feel like my whole career took off and my coaching took off and went to another level when I got clear on my mission. And my mission is educate, empower, and energize other people to be their best. So people say, oh, what's your favorite team to work with? Is it, you know, Marquette basketball? Is it, you know, uh, Florida State softball, the national championship team? Is it UFC fighters? And I go, no, it's the person I'm with. 
because my mission is not educate, empower, and energize national champions. I could really could care less about that. My goal is educate, empower, and energize others to be their best. So the nine-year-old or the nine-year major league all-star to me is the same. It's a human being and a life gets to touch a life. And if I don't take that type of approach, I don't feel like I'm going to show up at my best and serve that person. And then I'm cheating them and I'm cheating myself. And I don't want to do that. Vision is tangible. Yes or no. Vision. Run 100 miles June 1st. Vision. Create the Mental Performance Mastery Certification course. Vision. Certify 10,000 coaches over the course of my lifetime who each then touch 1,000 people's lives through Mental Performance Mastery. So together we impact 10 million lives. To me, that's motivating. That's a vision that I want to accomplish. And then my core principles, you could call them character traits. You could call them core values. My core principles are the behaviors I have to demonstrate moment to moment to give me the best chance to achieve the vision and achieve the mission. And my core principles are, are the acronym DELP, D-E-L-P, discipline, excellence, love, ener discipline, energy, and excellence, love, present process production. And if I can execute DELP, and then, then I feel like I'm giving my best, myself the best chance to achieve my vision and achieve my mission. But most people, when you ask them, do you have a set of core values? They'll go, well, yeah. You say, well, what are they? They'll go, well, you know, and then I'm like, no, man, when's your birthday? But 9, 20, 78, what are your core principles? Give them to me. If they can't give them to you that quickly, they're not going to be there when they're under pressure. What's your morning or daily affirmation? You, you spoke about that a little bit with um, how you're getting these people anchored in their uh, confidence, conditioning, and affirmations. What's yours? Mine, it really, so my, my confidence conditioning statements or my, my calm affirmations come back to the MVP process. It comes back to, I educate, empower, and energize other people today. I'm disciplined, have a plan, and, and follow the plan today. I'm energy, a powerful, positive force for other people today. I'm committed to excellence and working to do my best in all areas today. I'm loving and unconditionally give of myself and expect nothing in return today. I live in the present and be where my feet are today. I focus on the process and the things I can control today. I'm productive and dominate the day today. That's my affirmation. How long is it taking you to create this strong mentality? <laughs> Let's see. I'm looking at my watch to see how many days I've been alive. I'm 40, so it's taken me 40 years and a couple months. You know, it's an ongoing process. It's never done. There is no finish line, and I feel like I'm better today than I was yesterday. And that's kind of... That's kind of something I picked up from Arkansas, Arkansas's football coach, Chad Morris, that I really dug is he said, just, you know, be better today than you were yesterday and be better tomorrow than you were today. He says, don't try to be the best. Was there, be was there a turning point or a tipping point in your life where like you were, you know, maybe not on that path or has it been on that path since you were young? I think you're always on and off the path. You know, I think, I think when I met Ken Ravina, in grad school, when I read his book, Heads Up Baseball, I think it brought a lot of clarity to the path. But I think that path started before that with my high school football coach, John Allen, who was very influential in my career. I can, in my life, I can, I can clearly remember quotes that he used to hang up on the bulletin board back in 1994 and 95 when I was in high school. Football quotes like, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog, that you never know what's enough until you know what's more than enough. So I think my exposure to mental performance and mindset started back when I was in high school with football and even before high school football in junior high, high school, in junior high school football, my football coach, Mark Shaw, I remember him writing me a letter after the season that basically was the first probably indication of someone believing in me at a level that bigger than myself and him saying, you know, Brian, you could achieve anything you're talented and, 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 
something I think he wrote to all of his, you know, eighth graders that were going on to, to play, to go into high school. And um, I just remember reading that letter like every day. And it was like just putting air in your tires being like, man, somebody believes in me. And then I would do things that he would talk about, like do, do a max set of pushups every morning and every night, you know, eat as many, eat as many peanut butter sandwiches as you can during the day to put calories in the system. Cause you're skinny and you got to get bigger and just things like that. You know, and I think even before that, my father was a third grade teacher and was, uh, you know, the coach, coach of our little league team and, and, and we'd play baseball and football and basketball in the yard every day. And I don't know how much mental performance coaching there was going on there, but there was definitely an investment into, you know, practice and training and playing. And, and that was a very positive experience. So I think it's something I've been in my entire life. I think I knew I always wanted to coach, but I think you're always on and off the path. The key is to have the awareness of when you drift off the path to not waste time beating yourself up, but get back on the path. And the analogy I like to use a lot because a lot of athletes and a lot of my clients spend a lot of time beating themselves up. They got really big ambitions, really big goals. They're perfectionists and they're hard to shit on themselves. And one of the things that I use a lot, it's like if you were a scientist and you were in a lab and you were in a white coat, if you were in a white coat trying to find a cure for cancer and you put a couple, you know, substances together to try to find a cure and it didn't work, you wouldn't smash the beakers. You wouldn't slam the table. You wouldn't say, I suck as a scientist. You'd say, okay, what happened? What can I learn? What do I need to do to improve? Mission debrief, man. That's it. Um, what's, what are your favorite books on this topic? Like, I think a book list would be a powerful takeaway for, you know, I know we talked about, uh, um, men's search for meaning as being top of the book list. We talked about heads up baseball as being top of the book list. Uh, book list. What else? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, definitely heads up baseball for sure. Must read man's search for meaning. Uh, other books I would pin there, the compound effect by Darren Hardy. It just talks about the, the importance of small daily decisions. I would say life is yours to win by Augie Garrido, who was the NCAA's most winning baseball coach. He won five national championships, three at Fullerton, two at Texas over four decades. I think that book is really good. And even though it's a baseball book, it's, it's really not, it's not a baseball book. It's a life book. I would say George St. Pierre's book, the way of the fight is a really good one. Uh, I think the book that I just recently came out with mental performance mastery, it's an inspirational fiction story book. I, I, I don't want to toot my own whore here, but, but I've read, a ton of books on mental performance. I think I've been on the road 280 days a year for the last 10 years. So have a, I'd, I'd argue I have more experience in this field right now than anyone who's doing it. And I think I put all that experience into the certification, into the storybook. So I think that that's, that's really well done. Um, I'd agree with you, man. Like I'm, I'm into this world too. And your uh, ability to articulate this, I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast 30 times. I'm sure. Ah, yeah. Um, dude, I'm great, man. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And I think I'm just trying to think of a couple other books. Let me look at my library right here as I flip the flip the laptop around. People can see the library. There's one half, there's the gym, and there's the other half of the library there. I heard a wise person once say that, you know, the 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 bigger the income, the bigger the library. He said every book you read is like tacking on an extra thousand dollars a year in your income. So I immediately went and bought as many books as I possibly could. I haven't read them all, but they're sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> I think another one is Legacy, uh, about the New Zealand All Blacks. Is it oh, yeah. Ken Revisa used to work with the book Legacy and some of the key things that are in their in their training. Um, and if I were to share one more, uh, it'd be uh, if I were to share one more. You know, I might go with Dr. James Moss Power Sleep just simply because I think you can't you can't 
you can't outwork out mindset and out nutrition a lack of sleep right i mean sleep is the undermining thing here in terms of when most of the of the um you know growth hormone and most of the myelin is regenerated and testosterone is released and like if you you can't cheat sleep you can do it for a short period of time but if you if you're sleeping three hours a day you know you're gonna you're not gonna see the benefits of what you're what you're trying to invest i think sleep is is outside of mental performance i think sleep is one of the other missing links that people do you teach your course personally my course personally yeah do you teach it or do you have other instructors teaching it no right now right well right now it's just me and the way it works is so the mental performance mastery certification course is all online because i realized people that are would be going through it are very busy and they're all over the world so it's created online so when they when they get into the mental performance mastery course which they can go to briancane.com click on certification and and get on get get into it there and it's it's the 10 pillars and they get a workbook which they can then use with their clients and athletes and they go through the workbook but there's also basically the workbook in video form on the website which they can access instantly because i know some people like to read a book and some people want to watch and listen so it's about the same content either in video and audio form or in text and then at the end of the certification they would take a 50 question test and they've got to get 40 out of the 50 questions right to achieve mental performance mastery or MPM certification. And then once they're certified, you know, down the road, my plan is to provide other opportunities for coaches that are certified because I look at it in like three ways. The first step is understand the content, know what to teach. The second step is learn how to teach it in an engaging way. Right. Third, third step is learn how to monetize how to teach what you're teaching. And I think a lot of people want to go right into how do I monetize or how do I teach, but they don't know what to teach. They don't have a grasp on it. Right. So the certification is here's what I've been teaching for the last, you know, 10, 15 years of going through and trying things that worked and trying a ton of things that didn't work, you know, and here's the things that have worked with teams that have won and what is what I've tried with teams that didn't win. Right. So this is like what I do with every team. And I feel like is the backbone of mental performance. Again, it's not a magic pill. I'm not that, not that you know, mental performance coach is going to come on here and tell you about all the success stories and say, I've never failed. That's bullshit. I failed a ton. I've had a lot of coaches that have lost their job. I've had a lot of teams that have lost. I've had a lot of pain, a lot of tears and a lot of heartache because that's real. And that's what happens. You don't win all the time, especially in team sports, the enemy gets a say. And when the enemy has a say and you lose, that's all that is, is that's learning, right? So in life, Conor McGregor, the MMA fighter who ironically retired again today, Conor McGregor, the thing he talks about in his book is win or learn. He says, sometimes you win, but you always have to learn. And I think that's a key part of the elite mindset to circle back is in life, there's not winners and losers, there's winners and learners. So uh, I'm trying to help again, you know, coaches and trainers master mental performance so that they can learn more to help their athletes win. Are you only opening this twice a year? So I went to sign up and it's only open in June. Is that the idea? Yeah. So the, so the plan, the plan is to, is to open it, is op- open it every six months. So right now our first, our first open was in December and we're going to open it again late May, early June. So if people go to briancane.com slash certification, they'll be able to read more about the certification and they can get on our insiders list where they'll save $200 off the price of, of $797. So they get in for $597 off the insiders list. And then when we, when we open it back up and in, in, in it looks like late May, early June, uh, we'll make sure we notify them, send them an email so they can get in there right away. Man, and I couldn't recommend it more. I didn't, haven't taken it yet, but I'll be first on the list to take it. I'm already signed up. And, uh, man, looking forward to learning more. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, you know, as you continue to evolve, I'll be following right along. I've you know, obviously introduced to you through Joel. 
and uh, he spoke very highly of you, and I'll be your biggest advocate from here on out, man. Thank you for your time, Brian. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, anything I can ever do, please please don't hesitate to ask. And, you know, people can contact me either through the website, briancane.com, or on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at briancanepeak. Do you do a lot of one-on-one or um, seminar stuff? Like, do you travel the world doing seminars or do you one-on-ones? Yeah. So, so you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit on the business end of things here. I call it the six economies. Okay. So, it, a lot of people in the fitness industry or mental performance industry, um, I call them the six economies. And I got this actually from pa- John Paul DeJoria, who's of, of, of Paul Mitchell. Paul Mitchell, yeah. yeah. So, um, the six economies for me would be product sales, which would be the, would be the book you know, the certification program, live events, which I, I, I love doing, one-on-one coaching, team consulting, and then, you know, membership opportunities. So, uh, you know, the membership opportunities would be like uh, a mastermind group, something like that. So, you know, and then, and then the other, keynote speaking, I guess I, should, I would take the certification in the book, put it in products. So products, memberships, live events, one-on-one coaching, team consulting and keynote speaking. So those are kind of all the things that, that I do uh, and put them together. And I'm, I'm, I'm not putting them together in six, but there, there's, there's six for sure. But yeah, do seminars. would love to do a seminar with anyone that's interested. Do one-on-one coaching, whether it be with an athlete or my favorite one-on-one coaching is actually with coaching people that want to be mental performance mastery coaches because I feel like I've learned a lot and failed a lot and had success over the last 15 years of doing this. And it's all about that inexpensive experience of speeding up people's learning curves. So if there's people that are listening to this podcast that have been motivated and want to go through the certification and then get into one-on-one coaching so they can really master the mental game, man, I would be honored to serve them. Very, very cool, man. I'm sure we'll have lots of people that reach out to you. So, man, once again, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll definitely be directing everyone to your certification. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. And that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Mental mastery is the key to performance. As you see, Brian Kane is an absolute wizard when it comes to understanding the mental aspects of success and optimizing performance. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I know I really loved having this conversation with Brian. I actually invited him back to come and do more successive podcasts because he's got one of the greatest conversations I've found yet as far as applying this mental mastery directly into physical performance. I want to dive into each one of these pillars deeper and deeper and deeper every single time. If we can have him back on on a regular basis, I know I would benefit and I hope you would too. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, as always, share with one person you know. Head over to iTunes and subscribe. Head over to YouTube and subscribe because we also launch the podcast there. And uh, we will be launching new video content related to the podcast and the six pillars of a lean, healthy, and muscular physique over there. Often, you guys are also going to be experiencing muscleintelligence.com as it releases in days to come. We have some really, really awesome things coming at you based around the six pillars I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you giving me your time and your focus. And I will always do my best to bring you the greatest information on the planet to help you and your loved ones live your greatest life in a body you love. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.